this episode of Mona Moments, you will hear a conversation between artist Lynn Whitford and University of Washington museology graduate Danielle New, who worked collaboratively with their project partner, Hannah Corneliuson, on the current Outside In Gallery exhibition titled Standing Still. This show features the artwork of Lynn Whitford and 10 other local artists and was curated by Hannah Corneliuson and Danielle New. I would love if you could just tell us a little bit about the piece in the show, Beating COVID-19 to Death. What are some of those main themes and how did those themes develop for you? I suppose the, both the name and the appearance of the piece make it pretty clear. But I started doing that piece several months into the pandemic when I was feeling myself falling apart. I, I was trying to go to the studio and work on pieces that I had been doing and I just lost interest. My studio mates were all staying away for, to protect our health. So it was lonely and it just, everything seemed like, what's the point? What's the point? So I thought maybe it would be therapeutic to really bang on metal. <laughs> and um, for anybody who doesn't know about the process of raising, which is the main technique I use, it involves taking a flat sheet of metal and hammering it into a hollow form. And it's a very slow process that little by little you raise the you, you cut a disc of metal generally, and by hammering it, leaning it against a steel stake and hammering, you slowly, slowly, slowly bring it up and you can make it be pretty much with any kind of form you want it to be. So I decided to do a funerary urn with the words COVID-19 stamped all over the surface. And to do that, I scribed um, concentric circles, small ones all the way over the surface of the metal. And then I have little steel tools with letters on them. I actually have three different sizes. So all the way around each concentric circle, I stamped COVID-19 in a variety of sizes of the letters and numbers until I covered the entire surface with the words. And at that point, I started raising it from the flat sheet into the funerary urn. So as I raised it, I kept hitting those letters with my hammer. So I would raise it up, you know, from flat to just slightly rounded. Then I would heat it up to soften the metal, cool it, bring it back and raise it some more. So I don't know, 30 times or so to get it to the final form. It's a very slow process, an ancient process and very slow. And as I hit it, the letters kept getting mashed a little bit and distorted to some extent. And by the end of it, a lot of the words were not legible anymore, but some are, and, but they're elongated and distorted. So if you look carefully, if you, if you look at the name, you can, you can find those words throughout the piece. And then I made a top where I also, I did the same thing, but the top didn't need to be domed very much. And so the words on the top are clear. So anybody can see what it looked like before I smashed it. And um, <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> Beating the, making the words try to disappear. I'd say metaphorically, at least I was beating it. Uh, so that's, it's a pretty simple meaning. This is like, let's get rid of this thing. But the activity of doing it was also useful for me. I just had lost my interest in doing the pieces I had started before. I've gone back now to work on them a little bit, but that's what it's about. And I think it's probably pretty obvious <laughs> since it's a funerary urn. Well, I love that because Hannah and I, we actually 
how we first saw the piece was in it in that platform. I believe that the gallery yes. photo of it and Hannah and I saw it and thought this is so perfect for the show we're doing. And then when we when we contacted the gallery about it and they showed us the finished piece, we were a little bit confused because we saw it at first flat. Yeah. <laughs> It's so important to find out about this process from the you. Process, and I yeah. think the viewers appreciate hearing about this. It's so it's so fascinating. So thank you. It's very. I, I'm really impressed with the way the gallery has adapted to the pandemic, where they couldn't have very many people in the gallery. They've kept it open, I think, straight through, but with very few people actually coming in. And the fact that they got people putting on pieces in in process, I thought was very helpful and interesting. It's a wonderful gallery. I love it. <laughs> I, I totally agree. Moving on to more about the show. As you know, the exhibit Standing Still has a dual theme, one of feeling frozen and still in time, and the second of resiliency and emerging from struggle, still standing. So I'm just curious, what are, are, are some of your reflections on this theme, especially as it relates to your work? I think both of those are very appropriate for this particular piece, I was feeling very frozen. I have become a jigsaw puzzle addict because I just couldn't make myself do anything. And that's a, it's not very useful, but it's at least harmless. <laughs> it's a drug-free <laughs> way of escaping from what just seemed to me like such a nightmare. Um, so I was very stuck. I, the pieces I had started before, I didn't feel like working on, didn't feel like going to the studio. But the ability finally to go back and put some of that into words and then beat the words out and actually be using my body again and pulling myself back to the studio was very helpful and did lift me at least slightly out of the depression that the pandemic has caused. I'm really interested in seeing what other people have done as well and how they answer these questions. Yeah, I, I think that that's a lot of the beauty of what we're the interview process is trying to accomplish for us. We love having heard about, you know, people's different experiences. And, you know, there are some pieces in the show that reflect a little bit more of the positive outlook on things and, and some that are beautiful, deep reflections on the harm that's been caused. And mm -hmm. I think they marry really well together. So you're so right. Yeah. I, I totally agree. And then how do you hope your art will impact the viewers of this show, if, if at all? Mm -hmm. What ideas or emotions or conversations might you expect viewers to have? Well, I hope at some point in the not too distant future we'll be past this pandemic. So it's, I hope it'll be a reminder of, not that anyone who's been through it will forget it, but um, I guess I just hope that people see what I mean to convey and that it in time just becomes a reminder of the terror of this pandemic, which has killed so many people. Yeah, that that's a, it's it's definitely a, a grim reminder, but it's something that we all have to reckon with. I, you you may know from, from the piece and from my other work that I'm much more of a glass half empty person than the glass half full. So I'm glad there are glass half full people around the world and who can find the, it's not that I can't find the good, but um, I tend to see into the depths pretty easily. So I did, I have during this pandemic. And that's important. I think so too, you know. It's been a very strange time to live through. I mean, I'm glad that we have lived through it, but I mean, <laughs> that we're alive, but you just can't 
feel okay when you read the newspapers and listen, know how it's affected other people, how many people have been lost. Yeah, it's, it's such a tragedy. And we're so grateful that you're here speaking with us today. And, you know, please feel free to share as much or as little as you want. But um, we'd love to move into discussing a little bit about your past year. It has been about 12 months since the pandemic has arrived in, in the U.S. And so I'm just wondering how these past 12 months have been for you personally. And you know, I've really lost my sense of time. So that the, <laughs> that part is part one of the ideas of your show. And I just find it strange to think. I mean, normally I'm a very, I'm shy, but I'm a social person within my small group. I I live with other people. I work with other people. I have family I'm very close to and normally see quite a lot, even though none of them live near me. And uh, so the isolation, I mean, I have a good husband to share the house with, and I know that I'm luckier than many, many people and that I am able to shelter in place. I didn't have to go out and risk my life the way so many essential workers and medical people have. I could and did. My house is big enough. I can afford good food and can keep eating well, but I, I still have felt really isolated. And um, we do Zoom calls with our family and it's a lot better than nothing, but it's just very strange. And uh, my studio was, we set it up shortly after I finished graduate school. I was in my early 40s and it was four friends, all Nell Smiths, who rented a space and collectively got tools. And since then, some of the people, some people have moved away and others have moved in. We're now five metalsmiths and a hat maker. But the space is, and we each have our own hand tools, and uh, but we share the rent and we share the vent system and we share the space and we help one another. And um, the hat maker turned into a mask maker and she kept coming into work. She has sort of her own space within there, but the metals people have, were not in very much. So it just got very lonely. And I usually am okay with, I I work there alone some of the time and it's fine, but I realized it was very different when no one was going to come in and no one ever came in. And I have to say, I've gotten pretty depressed and anxious. And so I'm now getting back to work more. I'm actually now fully vaccinated, which is like having a superpower. (laughs) So life is beginning to return and and I'm getting back to the studio more and I'm working on some other pieces but but it's just been a, I would say a miserable year compounded by guilt at feeling sorry for myself when I know most people have a harder time than I do I and mean, we haven't lost anybody to the virus ourselves it's just people I don't know but I I feel so strongly that we're all connected and it's not okay to hear about those people if you still feel terrible, even when they're not your own people gone down. And we do know quite a few people who've had it, but nobody who's died of it. So that's my year. Yeah, I mean, I'm so glad to hear that you're fully vaccinated. That's so that's great news. But yeah, I mean, thank you for that reflection, because I feel at least that it's it's so important to discuss these things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody's hurting and it's but it's also great to see that, you know, okay, I'm okay. And to feel that empathy for others who are in a worse situation, you know, is part of Mm -hmm. what Anna and I's show is is about Mm -hmm. as well. Do you think over the past year, you learned anything about yourself personally or or as an artist at all? You know, I think what I learned is um, 
there, it's not exactly things I didn't know, but they're just much more vivid, um, lived knowledge rather than just, I mean, I've always, I would never have, I never have lived alone and I wouldn't live alone. And I would not have set up a studio on my own. I've even liked collaborative work, working collaboratively with other artists. And I do it very smoothly. I don't often even remember what part I did of something. I like collective action. That's just how I work the best. And, um, but it became really evident during the pandemic when I was working there alone. And not just the loneliness, but I realized much more at a conscious level how much my studio mates helped me. I mean, that it's like when I'm trying to figure something out and I can go over one and say, what do you think about this? Do you like it better with this or that way? And, this, you know, and getting their opinions is helpful. And not only opinions, but they we do things for one another because we each have different techniques we're particularly good at or some we don't do what we need. So I don't do any casting, for example. And so I need to get somebody else to do the casting. And, and I have studio mates who can do it. And so we trade or do things for one another. And even for doing, I've, I've been doing a lot of um, etching in the last 10 years or so, which I learned from studio mates to start with. And I use uh, some of its handwritten stuff written in a, with a pen that's a resist that I can use for etching, but others, I actually use a special kind of paper that you can heat transfer. You can et, you can Xerox onto it and then heat transfer that onto the metal, but you need a really good particular kind of Xerox machine. And the only one I know of is in a local technical college where one of my studio mates teaches and another one takes classes. So I used to be able to get my Xeroxing done there. Now I, so I can't do any of that. Uh, I can't do that kind of etching until the pandemic is over and someone can help me. But it's it's one of those things where I look at the pieces and I think I have to wait until so-and-so's back for this and I to get the casting done. So I really the interdependency just became more vivid. If you had asked me before the pandemic and I thought about it, I could have told you all that. But it wasn't so evident to me how much difference it made towards how smoothly I can work. I think I've also kind of realized that I'm a much more social being than I thought I was, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, yes, I'm introverted, but it's a whole new level during this, during yeah. this pandemic. Yeah. It's one thing to be there and think somebody else might stop in. And sometimes you think, oh, good, nobody's here. I can bang away and not worry about, <laughs> about bothering anyone. But at some point I wanted to bother them. <laughs> I just <laughs> wanted people around. The whole building, in fact, my studio is located in an old bus station, which has many different businesses. And so a lot of them were just away, you know, there was nobody in the hallways. Now they're back and we're all masked and, you know, some people are back, but it's, there's some new businesses. I'm waiting till everybody's vaccinated and we don't have to wear masks and we can meet one another and get together again. There's a a bakery, there is a, a bar and a brewery and people can sit outside and have their drinks but it's just not the same it's it's waiting for life to it's like waiting for your plants to come up in the spring i'm waiting for the people to come back up well wonderful is is there any little thing that you hope others can take away from this past year's events at all what I hope, I hope at some point that the terrible polarization we, we have as a country dies back 
some with Trump out of office, and, and that at some point that people can, that we can look back over this pandemic and see how much we did wrong and think about how to deal with the next one. Because, you know, if there's any bad thing I take away from this year, I did not, I would not have anticipated how many people there are who are, are unwilling or unable to care about protecting other people. I mean, it's, it's not fun wearing a mask, but it's really not that big a deal. And to have so many people unwilling to do anything, something as simple as wearing a mask to protect other people as though it's only about them. It's, I just don't get it. And, you know, it makes me cry. I, I don't understand it at all. It's, yeah, maybe you won't get sick and die because you're young and healthy, but you'll give it to your grandmother or your neighbor or the checkout person at the grocery store. And it's not that hard to understand. I think part of the problem has been really inconsistent messaging and, you know, some countries have done a lot better. So I'm hoping that when this is over and things calm down and it stops all being about which side are you on, that we can think about how we might have saved so many thousands of lives and keep funding, fund the CDC and keep funding research and listen, restore science to something that's not equivalent to some guy's gut. You know, it's, it's a, that's what I hope. I hope there'll be some reckoning. I mean, this is, besides being a tragedy, it's hit different communities very unequally by racial group and age and income. And I think if we can't do some more better redistribution of resources, we'll stay in this mess. But with a whole lot of luck, maybe we can. I mean, we've got global warming on the horizon and species die out and so many things that are going to hurt us if we can't get together and act more collectively for the good of our, our species and the animal and plant worlds. Maybe it's not, I don't know how, how optimistic to be, but it's my hope. Really hit the nail on the head with that response. <laughs> Hannah and I were nodding, nodding a lot when you were speaking just now. Yeah, that's it's 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 such a beautiful hope for what could be. I think. Um, yeah, you know, if we act collectively, we can do a lot, and if we don't, we'll go down. It just seems that simple. A lot of the pieces I was working on actually before the pandemic were pieces where I was trying to address things like climate change and species die out and. Also loneliness. I didn't think about that. I was before this interview, I was looking back over the work of the past 10 years. And there are a number of pieces that are about loneliness and um, others about um, invasive plants and how we, how we think about invasives, which is to me a complicated issue because like too close to how we think about people. So <laughs> I have very mixed feelings about calling plants invasive. So one of the pieces I did is about that, like whom can we call invasive <laughs> thinking about things come and go. Anyway, these are issues that have been in my mind way before the pandemic, but way more vividly now. And maybe we'll come out of it with some, maybe we can make peace. I hope. I hope so. And you know, your work is so thoughtful and I can see those themes in, in what you do. And I, if you have anything else to add about your work or about the show, just feel free before we decide to wrap up. This. Mm -hmm. I would just say if anybody's interested in seeing more of my work, Traver Gallery ha has a great website and some of it's there, but I also have a website, which is just lynnwhitford.com, which has a lot of the older work. So you can see my trajectory from the first work was more about 
objects and their relationship to their people and a little more formal looking. And then gradually I've moved into work that's gotten more about the kind of issues we've been talking about. So it's, it's all on there. Um, as far as this show, I'm just really looking forward to seeing it. So whenever it gets online, I'll be, I'll be there <laughs> to look at what other people have done and listen to what they say. My kids may be able to get to see the, the show in person. I think we'll get out to Seattle in May, but probably not later in the year. But since two of the kids and my brothers live in Washington and they go up to Shaw Island, my guess is that they'll be able to stop and see the show in person and maybe take some pictures for me. I hope so. I hope so. Okay, wonderful. Well, well, thank you so much for your reflections today. Um, and it was just great, you know, being able to speak with you. Thank you for listening to this Mona moment. Standing still will be on view in Mona's outside in gallery from July 3rd to October 10th, 2021.